0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who wanna know what works with social media. I'm super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Jared Easley. We're gonna explore how he used Facebook and particularly Facebook groups, to grow a very loyal following that is helping his business. And if you've ever been thinking about using a Facebook group and whether you should use a Facebook group and a Facebook page, a Facebook group or a Facebook page, this show is for you. Also want to remind you that you can always reach out to me via email at podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Also, uh, we've got a great new discovery with you that I'd like to share right now.
1: Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip.
0: I'm very excited to be joined again by Eric Fisher. Eric, what did you discover?
1: I discovered the Great Suspender, and that just sounds like a really weird name for it a It sounds tool, like some I-
0: sort of old school thing that you attached to your pants. <laughs> yeah,
1: it It literally is, but it also is a Google Chrome um, extension, which, if you're like me, we're using Google Chrome. We're using it a lot. We're jumping from tab to tab, and then we've got so many of them open. Chrome is a fast web browser, but it can hog resources from your entire laptop system, whatever. This, based on what settings you've set up, Will keep it from having some of those tabs run as you keep moving. So, in other words, it it suspends them.
0: Does it, is it smart and it knows you haven't gone to those tabs in a while and it just stops them from taking resources from your computer?
1: Yes, and and there's all these different variables. Like you can set it that any, any, from anywhere from about 20 seconds that you've not been on that tab through to about three days. You can even say do not suspend pinned tabs. So if you pin a tab and you can say okay don't ever suspend that one. I want that one to keep running. I've got like live data going on or something, or I want to listen to this thing I'm streaming in the background. Um, Lots of different inputs and uh, settings. You can even...
0: I was going to ask, is it free? It is free. Yeah, You were going to say you can even...
1: I was going to say you can even um, set it to where it will only auto-suspend if you're running on battery or if you're running on internet. So again there's there's different uses here there's different reasons to use it for different ways uh, like for example, the tool we did a while ago was um oh what was it called the one where it would keep you from using up your internet when you were you were mobile
0: ah uh, yes uh, I've got a trip mode
1: trip mode there it is and so what if you're out and about but you forgot your uh, your power cord so <laughs> but you want to still keep all these tabs open and be able to jump them back and forth between them but you don't want them to hog down and you know suck as much of your battery down well you can select only auto suspend if running on battery so that way if you go away from it it'll pause the functions in that tab and stop running, you know, because every time you've got a a tab running in Chrome, it's like running multiple instances of that browser over and over and over. Now,
0: when you go back to that paused tab, does it come up immediately or is there like a delay? Can you get it? Do you get a sense that something is not quite there as far as
1: you get to choose? You can either have it auto unsuspend when you click to that tab or you can have it. And I've I've set it up this way where uh, you click to unsuspend it when you go there.
0: And when it does unsuspend, is it kind of like reloading the page kind of a thing? Yeah. Now, one thing I want to tell everyone, even if you're not a Chrome user, if you're using Firefox, like I predominantly do, and I use Chrome as my backup, you need to keep in mind that um, if you have lots of tabs open in your browser, that browser is like the most data the most CPU intensive thing likely on your computer if you live in front of a browser. And if you're working in social, that's probably true. Mm-hmm. So every once in a while, restart your browser or literally instead of refreshing all those tabs, open it from scratch with just the new browser. Because um, you know, just some of the employees here at Social Media Examiner I'll go over to their desk and it's like they got a hundred million tabs open. <laughs> and they're wondering why their computer's so slow. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, I, my MacBook is fairly new, November, and uh, I've got 16 gigs of RAM in here. But every once in a while, if I'm running more than one browser and one of them's Chrome, and I've got multiple instances on Chrome open all across the, the browser, I'm starting to figure out okay, I got to figure out what I can shut down. Well, this actually has helped me a whole lot these last few weeks.
0: So, what's the name of this uh, extension?
1: It is called The Great Suspender.
0: Awesome. And if anybody has uh, is familiar with an equivalent one in Firefox, we encourage you to leave notes in the show notes, and we'll tell you how to get there later on in the show. Eric, thank you so much for bringing this to us.
1: You're welcome. My pleasure.
0: Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. And with that, let's transition over to today's interview with Jared. To help simplify
1: your social safari, here's this week's special guest.
0: I'm very excited to be joined today by Jared Easley. If you don't know who Jared is, he's host of the Starve the Doubts podcast and co-author of Podcasting Good to Great. He's also co-founder of the Podcast Movement, the industry's leading conference for podcasters, And an event I strongly recommend. Jared, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. So, today, Jared and I are going to talk not about podcasting, but instead about how Jared has been using Facebook groups to cultivate an active community of podcasters. And the reason we're talking about this is because I think what Jared is doing is really smart. And I think that those that are listening right now could learn from Jared and learn how he's using this unique feature of Facebook for perhaps for whatever community you have. So Jared, let's start with, let's back up for a second. Um, podcasting conference, you know, how, how did you come up with the idea and what made you go after this audacious goal <laughs> of starting a podcast conference? Cause I'm sure there must be uh, an interesting, interesting story. And we should s- state that you're literally coming up on just your second year doing this. So you're still pretty new to the conference space. Uh, we are. We were at another
2: event last uh, January of 2014. And I say we, it's a, a couple of us. There's uh, Dan Franks and then Gary Leland and Mitch Todd and then myself. So there's four of us. And we were at an event called New Media Expo and we heard uh, several of the attendees that were podcasters. They were asking the question, why isn't there a podcast conference? And I'd ask myself, that question, and I never really given it a second thought. When I heard other people saying it, I've listened to enough podcasts like yours, Michael, and and some of the other ones that are out there where they, they say you want to listen to what the market's asking for. And I knew... If we didn't make a step to to try to create something that eventually someone would, but why not us? There was, you know, it didn't seem like there was any reason not to try, except for the fact that we didn't have an extensive background in that and we didn't have tons of resources. So I guess there was plenty of things that could have prevented us from doing an event, but we didn't allow that to persuade us otherwise. So we, we went to a few people that we, uh, had a rapport with and and also had some experience with large events and we asked for their perspective if you were to start over how would you do this uh, what advice do you have and one person that was uh, just such a big help in the beginning was a guy named Philip Taylor who does a co- another conference for financial bloggers and he he just said hey if I was starting over I would consider this and I would do this and and with that information We then wanted to validate the idea because we didn't have tons of resources to invest in something that might fail. We turned to Kickstarter and tried to crowdfund the money that we needed. We realized real quickly that there wasn't a successful track record of events that were similar to what we were trying to do on Kickstarter. And that could have discouraged us. And we also learned that we didn't have an email list, and most successful campaigns had a pre-existing email list and we just got creative. We decided to have conversations, try to uh think outside the box, try to be creative with the rewards and um we you, put you together. created a
0: really cool video too, if I recall <laughs> right. Well, the video is interesting
2: because we, we didn't spend a lot of resources on that video. We basically found an artist that was able to create a little simple cartoon-type video that didn't cost us a lot of money but told the story. And uh, we put it out there. We, we put out the c- campaign, and and we needed just a very small a- amount of money to to validate the idea. And at, at that time, small amount was $11,000. We, we weren't sure if that would take 30 days or uh, or if we would even hit it. And we just asked the podcast community, would you support this? Would you speak at this? Would you share this with your network? And we had a lot of people say yes. But as you know, Michael, it's one thing to say yes, and it's another thing to vote with your wallet. So when we published the campaign, we hit that $11,000 mark within nine hours of wow. posting the crowdfunding. Well, okay, campaign. hold on a
0: second. What what was going through your brain at that nine-hour mark? <laughs> I really think that was such
2: a blur. It was um, it was right before Valentine's Day. And so it just uh, it felt like uh, there was a lot of love in the podcast community, <laughs> not to be cheesy. But, yeah, it was, it was just kind of uh, a wonderful thing to see the community come together and support something that didn't exist. And that was just an idea. And uh, at the end of that 30 days, we had over three times the amount that we needed, which was more than enough validation to then sell tickets and pursue sponsors and follow through with some of the other advice. That we had and and Michael you you were um, you were very kind to be a guest speaker at our event this last year we had um, we had about six hundred people that came to that first year to an event that didn't exist so it was
0: uh, kind of a miracle if you think about it but that that's, um, <laughs> you know I just want to give people some perspective. We had eleven hundred people at our first year but uh which which was a miracle also for a first year conference, but we had the entire force of social media examiner and hundreds of thousands of people on a newsletter list. And Jared, you had um, a bunch of people that were willing to work hard and a bunch of people that believed in you and stood behind you and you bootstrapped this thing and you pulled it off. And I was shocked and impressed in a a good way, you know? (laughs) Well, I appreciate
2: that. And yeah, we didn't do everything perfectly, but we did our best, and and I think what feedback we learned from that first year, we've now applied going into year two. So, uh, we're excited about the event, and uh, yeah, it's just the community is really coming around it and rallying beside us, and uh, so far so good.
0: Okay, so uh, so just to summarize up to this point, Jared found a need that the podcasting community felt was not being met at other events that there needed to be some sort of uh, of, a, of a gathering of the minds of podcasters in this event called Podcast Movement. And the logo is really cool. It's like a fist in the air, isn't it? Kind of like, uh, I don't know, what, what's the story behind that?
2: It's just like a fist that's holding a microphone. And uh, Dan Franks, who uh, he's kind of came up with that design, and people really like it. So it's like join the
0: resistance, right? I
2: mean, it's uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It maybe, maybe a sense. So one one friend of ours said, "Hey, it kind of reminds me of uh, the band Rage Against the Machine." I never even thought about that. I wasn't real familiar with their music, when I went back and looked. Like maybe that uh, had an indirect influence on Dan. I'm not sure, but um, <laughs> yeah, kind of a movement type of uh, image.
0: Yeah. Well, and you had the word movement in the name of your conference, so. Uh, to set the context, you know, up to this point, Jared and company, Dan, Franks, and others stepped up and chose to take some leadership and put on a conference and take the risk after validating it. And at this point, you've developed a community of people that are passionate about podcasting. So that's the setup for the next question, which is why did you decide to start a Facebook group um, and how did you connect all the dots together on that with your, your, you know, your 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 community, if you will?
2: When we started the idea for the conference, and as we were preparing for that, it didn't occur to us right out of the gate to create a Facebook group. We had a Facebook page. And we use that primarily to to do Facebook ads and things of that nature. But we didn't have a group. And what we noticed real quickly is when we went into some of the other podcast focused groups, um, if we tried to talk about podcast movement, we had to be real careful about that because some of the. Uh, groups have a very uh, smart but strict policy on self-promotion, and we didn't want to rock that boat. We wanted to be respectful of those communities, but we also wanted to get the word out. And so we we tried different strategies, some good, some eh, not so good. And uh, I think As we went into the event, we were all hands on deck. We were focused on that. But as soon as the event was over, the feedback and the excitement and and just the joy of of people who got to connect with that community and enjoyed the event, they were sharing it on social media. And we realized, okay, we need something to – to try to continue conversations, and so that's when we started the Facebook group. We probably, in hindsight, should have started it way before the event, but we did start it. Ex- just just after the first event was over, and now fast forward, not even a year. It's it's sixteen hundred members of a you know very niche uh, group, but it's growing every month.
0: So, so you decided to start the group to to enable those that went to your conference. To basically keep the dialogue going is that is that was that the original intent?
2: That was the original intent. Is is we knew there was a lot of conversations going on, and we we wanted to help facilitate that, help continue those, and we also wanted to be able to to speak to that group and share about further developments regarding uh, podcast movement and just the industry. In and of itself, so um, we didn't have all the perfect answers. We just knew, hey, let's create a group. Let's let's capture some of this and and try to um, you know try to keep these conversations going. So that was the initial thought when we created the group.
0: Now, how do you decide who is and who's not in that group at this juncture? Just because I'm sure some people are, are thinking right now, okay, you know, I could start a group for just people that have purchased my product or have, have attended my event, or I could expand it a little bit. So what what was your decision? Well, we we looked at it as there's
2: going to be some people that have attended the event, and there's going to be some people that couldn't attend in year one, but they would consider attending in the future. So we named the group accordingly. We named the group the same name as the event, but also added, a, um, I guess, a subheader, if you will, we call it um, Podcast Movement Past present and future mm. attendees. And uh, I think that the idea there is there's going to be people who are interested in podcasting that uh, can't necessarily come to the event. Maybe they live overseas and they're not able to travel. There's a lot of different things uh, where people may or may not be able to come, but they could still be involved in the community and still be involved in the conversations that we would would have in that group.
0: So um, here we are about, I don't know, 10 months after your conference at the point of this recording, if I'm doing my math right, how has the group helped you, your business and um, and has it been better than your facebook page? I think they've served
2: uh, the two have served uh, two different things so the Facebook page obviously has been essential for Facebook ads and for getting the word out to people who might not already know who or might not be engaged and then the Facebook group has been a great way to communicate with the existing community so and, and it's served more than just communication. We've curated content as, as information or news comes out about podcasting or new developments. That's uh, helpful. We sh- try to share that in the group so people have a heads up. Uh, we try to encourage communities. So if there's things like meetups or, or things that are happening across the country or in different places, we try to uh, be fair and share those, even if they're not our own. Um, so so those things are happening. But, but one of the cool things that I think it is done is it's allowed us to have a top of mind awareness. And I don't know that this was our intent going in, but Whenever you're getting a notification on Facebook, whether it's on your mobile device or whether it's on a desktop, you see uh, the name of that Facebook group that flashes in your notifications. And when podcast movement, uh, in our case, is flashing for podcasters who are a part of that group, that is creating that top of mind of awareness. And I know in, in marketing, you've heard about you know the rule of seven. And how uh, that's an old marketing adage where oh, at least seven times uh, someone has to hear your message or see your message before they take any kind of action. And in a way, the name of our group, as it shows up in notifications for people who are a part of that group and they get those notifications on Facebook, they're constantly seeing fa- uh, podcast movement throughout the year. And I think what that has done is that has it just kind of kept us on the mind of people who are podcasters.
0: You know, I think there's some other benefits that um, I can state because I'm a member of the group and I participated in the group. Um, One thing that a lot of people may not realize is that Facebook has an app called the Groups app. And a lot of people have this app on their mobile phone. And it allows you to uh, essentially have your group communication all happen within one app. And it also allows you to get notifications. So for example, um, I belong to not just your group, but other groups that I would argue are competitors to yours. But I don't have notifications turned on for them, but I do for yours because I've found the richness of the communication in there is better. And being smart with the Facebook group app on a mobile phone, you know, is kind of an interesting, intriguing thing for a lot of people because many people have company Facebook pages like we do. We have private Facebook groups that we use inside a social media examiner. And a lot of people in the company have the Facebook app on their phone. Um, another interesting thing that I've discovered, Jared, is that um unlike a Facebook page, Facebook groups triggers that little ball or whatever it's called in, in the upper right hand corner. And it and you actually do get occasionally um notifications that come through the group, depending on how you have your notifications set up. But what I think is even more intriguing is that the news feed seems to give more preferential treatment to groups than it does pages. Because I'll tell you, Jared, every couple days, I see some interesting dialogue that's going on inside your group pop up right there on my Facebook newsfeed. And um, I it, it seems to curate the most popular stuff. I don't see everything. I just see the stuff that it seems like it's a combination of my friends and popular topics that are shown in the newsfeed. Have you noticed this in your involvement with other groups as well?
2: I uh-huh. have, yeah. There'll be different topics that pop up in some of the other groups I'm in, and I wouldn't have probably seen it otherwise. But yeah, I, I do like that feature.
0: I'll give an example. Um, I forget the name of the guy, but the the um the guy that makes the um the the, the WordPress plugin, um Todd Cochran, I think it was, right. updated that hey, there's been a security update. And boom, it came right up in my newsfeed and I was able to go download and upload that software into WordPress. And he decided to use your group to communicate that. And that's just the kind of stuff that happens when you have a strong community. And that that kind of stuff seems to happen. And I'm hoping people listening right now are beginning to think about how a Facebook group could be actually even more interesting than a Facebook page, because I will tell you we have a big Facebook page and I see the stuff in your group more than I see the stuff from our Facebook page, Jared, in my (laughs) newsfeed. Well, there you go. (laughs) So um, let's talk about how you're using it. Let's talk about the strategy. Um, I mean, I would imagine you're managing it with some sort of a strategy, right? So um, how often do you post to it? What kind of stuff are you posting? Let's dig in a little bit. Well, well, for a Facebook group, especially if it if it's a group that has
2: um, more than a few members, I would encourage people to consider having more than one admin for the group because um, not everybody can can pay attention to the group at all times and so when you have a few people that are in that admin role um, and everybody's kind of on the same page of, of what the, the rules are of the group they can kind of help monitor that not necessarily police it but um, what we found is uh, because there's a few of us um, there's a better quality of posting that's going on and sometimes there's you know some people that come in and share some things that, that aren't uh, there they might be spammy or self-promotional and we 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 try to be gracious about that. uh, But then, you know, we address it and then kind of move on.
0: Okay. Wait, um, let's pause there for a second. So you've got multiple people as admins in your group and what are the tasks of the admin? The task of the admin,
2: uh, I think is just uh, in our case, we'll, we'll, I think some people will know this, but not everyone is, is. There's three different types of groups in Facebook. You can have just a basic public group where anybody can join or anybody can can be invited. A, a closed group, which is what our group is, where anyone can ask to join. They can they can see the group, but they just can't come into the group. They have to ask to join and then the admin actually uh, allows that or doesn't allow that. And then there's uh, secret groups. And I think in the secret group, it's it's anyone can can be in, added to the group as long as they're invited or they're added by a member. Uh, but it, I think it's very... But you know, they have to be
0: approved by the admin, actually.
2: Yeah, it's, it's more private. Ours is a closed group, meaning um, you can find the group when you do a search, but you can't just be in it automatically. You have to uh, request a membership, if you will. And then the admins will come in and, and determine, you know, yes or no. And in most cases, it's a yes, unless, you know, it's a profile that looks like it's uh, spammy or something like that.
0: Okay, so part of the task of the admin is to go through and actually accept people into the closed group. Um, do you have some sort of a okay schedule where admin A, B, C checks at certain times of the day and removes spam?
2: Um I think we're just co- constantly kind of reviewing it. Now our our group is about 1600 plus, so spam has not been a huge problem for us. So I wouldn't say there's a set time during the day. We're just kind of monitoring it as we check Facebook and when we see it if if that's within the hour or if that's even within, you know, sometime later that day, we just kind of take care of it when those situations occur. Um and and then we're we're also looking constantly looking for um appropriate posts to share. Uh, like curation of of information that's relevant to the community, and uh, we also try to uh, foster relationships. If we see someone in the community who's doing something that's noteworthy, we try to uh, appropriately call them, call attention to them, and say, "Hey, this person's doing something that's interesting, or I like the way they're doing this." And and uh, so that's primarily our strategy right now is is we just curate information and we try to highlight uh, people in the group.
0: How often are you? um talking about your brand in the group. I mean, do you have any kind of strategy or, or thoughts on that?
2: Well, we we have the artwork for the Facebook group that's clearly branded as podcast movement and it's got a hashtag, it's got the dates of the event. So anyone who's coming into the group, whether it's desktop or even mobile, they're gonna see that image Pretty much every time, so I I think that's important to consider. Is is have your artwork set up so that it's, uh, you know, if you have an announcement, you could kind of consider putting that into your artwork. And then we, as we make announcements, especially as the event is coming up, we do share those uh, in the group. It's not constant announcement. You know, we usually do it maybe about once a week, Uh, but we we try to uh, try to not overwhelm people with just stuff that's only related to the event.
0: You know, on on a on an announcement strategy here, one thing I want to share with everybody that's probably something you already do, Jared, is um, if you're in a closed group and you post an announcement in the group, people cannot share that outside the group. So the smarter thing to do would be to post it on your Facebook page and share that announcement into the group, so that people can share the original destination source, which is your public Facebook page. So, for example, when you announced Glenn Beck as one of your keynoters. Um, if you just announced that inside the group, then the sharing capability gets eliminated because uh. you can't share from a private group to a public space. But if you do share it origin- from a public destination, like a Facebook page, then you would have that sharing capability. I don't know if you're consciously thinking about those kind of things. Is that something that you, you do? Actually?
2: Yeah. I, I didn't think to mention that, but that's a good point. When we announced Glenn Beck, we did it with the page and then we shared it into the group.
0: Exactly. Um, Now, do you find that with a Facebook group that you have to kind of do things to spur dialogue? Or do you feel like people, because, you know, one of the things, I mean, we've had groups on LinkedIn, we've had groups on our own sites. One of the challenges with groups is, is getting people to remember they even exist. Um, And do you have to do anything in particular to kind of spur interaction? Or do you feel like because you have a pretty significant number of people in the group that it just kind of happens organically?
2: I, I think at this point we are we are at an organic phase where people are naturally sharing. But I think in the beginning it, it 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 died down. There was a little bit of hype there right after the event, and there was less people posting. And that's when we had to consciously go in and say, okay, we need to be um, we need to be sharing stuff, uh, not you know not being over the top about it, but we need to be sharing stuff and and trying to start those conversations. And so we we have done that, and there are, there are. Uh, you know, several weeks where it might just be a few posts that we do and then there's a lot of posts by other people and then and vice versa. But um, I think in the beginning, especially if it's a small Facebook group, I think uh, welcome consider welcoming new members. Uh, That may not make sense when you have a large group, but when you have a smaller group, you can say, hey, let's welcome uh, Michael. Michael's new to the group. And and then people who don't know Michael can comment. I've seen that done in some of the smaller groups, and it it starts that little uh, sense of community. And uh, we have a description in our Facebook group. We don't have it on a pinned post. You could pin a post of whatever you choose, whatever announcement, uh, whatever post is, is relevant or makes sense. That can be pinned at the top so that most people see that except for mobile uh, I don't know if you want to mention that here in a moment, Michael. But uh, what we've done, in, instead of doing a pin post, we just have a description that's on that right-hand side uh, column on the desktop. And that kind of gives the rules. It kind of explains the group. And for the most part, we haven't had to um, mess with that. It, it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. And because of that, you know, we, we just kind of keep it there. And, and then as people join, they can go take a look at that. So
0: We have really small secret groups that we use uh, inside of Social Media Examiner. We don't have a big closed group. Do, do you know if Facebook gives you any kind of analytics or insights as far as interactivity inside that group? Uh,
2: if, if they do, I, I'm not familiar with all the capabilities of it. So I think there might be some 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 of that, but I, I haven't really explored that too heavily. Uh, uh that's we cool. Yeah.
0: Um, what, what are the kind of things people need to know that could be a challenge when it comes to running a group of any significant size? And I would, I would argue that anything more than a couple hundred people could get kind of potentially wild West <laughs> if, yeah. you, if you don't have any kind of rules in place, I would imagine. Right. So what, what were some of the challenges? Cause I'm sure you must've bumped into some challenges managing a group of this size.
2: Yeah, there, there's there can be a, a temptation for some to over admin the group and, and depending on what what the group is for that may or may not be necessary what we found is we, we try to let people post freely and if we're noticing a, a pattern that's disturbing then we'll contact that person um, individually and we'll just say hey you know the, these are the rules and you know we feel like this particular type of posting is not in line with that and we, we try to play nice uh, but then there's some you know some some spammy type profiles that that get in because we weren't completely uh, paying attention or we just didn't know any better and they'll post stuff that has no relevance to podcasting at all like you know Ray Ban sunglasses or, or something random like that and then we we just delete and remove those users and then there's there's times when uh, some people get frustrated with someone else and that becomes vocal in the group and uh, there's been a few times we've done that and depending on how <laughs> how it's playing out we let it uh, post or we'll come in and. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll ask that people play nice and we'll probably delete the post depending on on what it is. We had a situation one time where someone was calling another person a name and um, we talked to both parties and we ended up deleting the post. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, then we had another situation where someone was uh, considering buying ads from another podcast and the other podcast had declined and didn't think it was a good fit and that they had some kind of back and forth about whether that was the right thing or not. And there was a moment where I thought I was going to have to delete that one, but we allowed it to to stick and um, it how, didn't get too know, crazy. How do you
0: deal with this? I mean, like, I would imagine in any group where there's people that you don't totally know every single person and someone says something that could be misconstrued or someone isn't exactly polite and thank goodness this isn't YouTube. <laughs> Sure. But there's going to be things that people say where there, there's some pretty strong disagreements. And, and, uh, I mean, I've seen it even just among personal profiles that people post when that happens within a group that you manage. Um, how do you, how do you like, what's your, you know, once you've agreed that they've, a line has been crossed, like what's your procedure and what tips do you have, you know, for our listeners that might want to have, that might have to deal with this. Well, if, it, if it's over the line, then I won't
2: hesitate. I'll delete the post. And, and Facebook also allows you the ability to hide the post. So um, you can hide it from the, uh, I guess, the timeline of the group if, if you need to do that uh, where it's it's still there, but it's not uh, visible on the timeline. But if it's yeah, if it's on the level that you're describing, we just delete in and I would just send a message to the person involved. And depending on how that message and how that conversation plays out, we would determine if that person needs to be in the group or not. We try to give people the benefit of the doubt. We try to be polite, but there are some people, that um, you know, they just are out to, to cause some trouble. And if
0: that's the case, then we'll,
2: we'll remove them. We'll be nice, but we'll remove them.
0: Do you have to be friends with that person to be able to send them a message or do you know if Facebook allows you to somehow send a message to someone who happens to belong to a group?
2: As far as I know, if, if they're a member of the same group, you can, you can
0: message them. So, you can send them that private direct message or whatever.
2: Huh? Yeah. I don't, I don't recall running into a problem with that yet. So I haven't seen that yet, but that, that is a good question. I, as far as I know, if they're in the same group as you, you can do that.
0: So, um, how do you recommend, I'm sure some people listening right now are like, okay, this is intriguing. Um, and I might want to start my own group. Um, do you have any thoughts or tips for people that are going to just get started with a group as far as, you know, um, you did mention things kind of dried up in the beginning. So there must've been some stuff that you, some ebbs and flows of, of starting groups and, and little tips or advice that you might be able to share.
2: Uh, Sure. I I think one temptation can be, well, I want my group to be big. I want my group to have a lot of people. And there's going to be some that they don't necessarily need that or care. Uh, but that could be the temptation for some. And Facebook allows you to just automatically add people to your group. You can just add their name. And, and what I found in talking to several people that I know is, is the folks uh, there are folks out there that don't appreciate it when you just add them to a Facebook group without getting their permission. So if the temptation is, hey, I want to create this large group, I'm just going to go out and add a bunch of people without asking, I would encourage you to reconsider that. You know, Try to ask people before you're adding them. Otherwise, just let it uh, let it grow organically. You can, you know, put out messages on your own personal timeline. Says, "Hey, we have this group. If this interests you, and, and you can leverage hashtags and things of that nature." Uh, what we mentioned earlier about admins, I think it's important to consider having another admin to kind of help you uh, run the group. And then uh, curation, I think, is is a pretty easy thing to do, and it, and it helps create conversation. Uh, so you could use um, Google Alerts, or you could use, uh, you know, create a Pinterest board or whatever social media you're out there. Pay attention to hashtags on. Uh, different channels and kind of see what the latest news is and then if it's appropriate you could consider sharing that in your group Um, and then you know there's different groups that I'm in where where I'll see people just um, you know try different things like there's one group I'm in and it's appropriate for this group they'll say hey what's your win for this particular Friday uh, every Friday, they say, "What What's your win of the week?" And people will say, "Hey, this week, you know, I had this happen. This this was a a successful thing for us," and and that starts conversation. So there, there's little uh, creative questions that you can ask in the group that's relevant to whatever niche your group is for.
0: You break news uh, can, too, right? Don't you? I mean, you tend to keep an I, eye on what's going on in the industry, and I would imagine if you're sharing that on Twitter, you may as well break it into the group too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when when Spotify talked about they were you know doing podcasts,
2: we we tried to be on top of that as much as possible and and put that out there, and and that started a whole lot of conversation. So the, yeah, when when things are coming out that are relevant to your niche, um, you know, share it out. And I mean, just recently, I went to see a movie with my wife. We saw uh, Pitch. Uh, I believe it was Pitch Perfect uh, two and in the opening scene of that movie there's a podcasting scene and I just took a picture um, that I found from the movie and um, and I shared it in the group and said hey this this opening scene is about a podcast and it was interesting to see how many people were excited about that and thought that was cool and you know, started some conversation that way so it could be a number of things. It could be something you know relevant to pop culture that's related to your niche. It could be a number of things that you could um, bring up and uh, I think questions tend to work well. You just ask some, some questions and, and people start conversations that way. And, and maybe if you're in the very beginning stages in a small group, you could actually reach out to some of the members and, and ask them if, if there's anything that they'd like to share with the group or any questions that they have encouraging them to share. Um, I don't, you know, I, I haven't had to do that with a podcast movement group, but I've seen that done in some of the other groups I'm in.
0: Now, is it true that whatever the most active conversation is pops up to the top of the list on the group? Is that, is that accurate?
2: Yeah, that's what I've seen is when people are, are actively commenting and liking, then that post will stay at the top.
0: So I would imagine if you, I mean, if you have a lot of dialogue, you do have to keep your eye on things, right? Because someone could post something and it could get kind of buried down the list, right? Um, <laughs>
2: yeah. Do you find that yeah. happening?
0: yeah that happens and then um, there's some uh, there, we've
2: run into s- situations where people were sharing about something they were doing and it, it was kind of on the line of being self-promotional but we gave them the benefit of the doubt but then we noticed every few days they were going back and commenting like a comment that wasn't real relevant oh, trying like, to oh, bring it back up to the top yeah to just keep it at the top where they'd say where, where you commented a couple days ago and then they're like thank you Michael you know and, and maybe they needed to thank you maybe they didn't but uh, what, it, what it came across says is when they're doing it consistently they're trying to keep that post at the top to kind of promote whatever it is they were doing and Mm. uh, so we've had a few scenarios like that and we just addressed it we talked about it and in that case we deleted that particular post after several weeks of it uh, continuing to resurface unnecessarily because this person kept commenting on it so but those are those are rare situations we haven't run into a lot of that now if you have a massive group um i could see you might run into a lot more of that stuff you just need to have um Rules in place. Make sure people are aware of them, and and then you know if people are not following the rules, you can then determine whether or not they should be in the group.
0: Do you feel like the the dialogue in your groups is is uh, more rich than the stuff that happens on your Facebook page? Do you feel like like maybe the page is more for announcements, and and the group is more for discussion?
2: I think at this stage that's that's what it is. We're we're using the page to try to reach people that aren't actively engaged in the community or just don't know about what we're up to through the Facebook ads, through the boosted post. And then, yeah, the group, um, uh, that's where we're having a lot of the conversations.
0: Have, do you know if you're able to target your Facebook ads to members of your group? Uh, that's a good question. i I mean, we have a, a few strategies we're following, but I, I believe that's true, but I'd, I'd have to follow up on that. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I mean, it would be, it would be, it would be smart, right? I mean, like if you're trying to build a group of future attendees of your conference, And um, you know how Facebook works and they're not going to necessarily show every person in that group, every update. If you are able to deliver an ad to them, reminding them of a sale that's ending or something, that probably would be smart. And I would venture to guess Facebook probably does allow you to do that. I wouldn't be surprised if they allow you to target other people's groups. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that's uh, food for thought. I'm going to need to go back and review that because that that would be good to know. Do, Do you find it's a lot of work to keep the group alive? Or is it kind of one of those things you just have to check in every once in a blue moon and just make, and it's kind of on autopilot?
2: I think at this point it's kind of on autopilot. And, and if you're naturally on social media anyway, then, you know, might not be a big deal because, you know, you're, you're potentially going to be on there however much time you allot uh, per week or per day to do that. So for me, uh, you know, I'm just checking it whenever I would naturally be on Facebook and then, um, you know, kind of act accordingly.
0: Well, Jared, um, thank you. I know you said in pre-conference you don't feel qualified to be, quote unquote, a Facebook group expert, but I know that you've given a lot of good insight. um, And uh, I've learned a lot of things about how you're using the Facebook group. And I think what you're doing is really cool. Why don't you tell people where they can find more about you, Jared, and where they can find out more about your conference?
2: Sure. So if you want to just look at um, our Facebook group, just kind of see how we do things, you're welcome to do that. It's called Podcast Movement Past, Present, and Future Attendees. And you can kind of come in there even if podcasting is not your thing. You can just kind of see how we're we're running it. You can always reach out and ask questions. Of course, our event is for podcasting. So if that's on your radar, it's podcastmovement.com. That's July 31st through August 2nd of 2015 this year when we're having that event. So podcastmovement.com.
0: And I will be there. So if you want to say hi to me and Jared, come on to Texas. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Why don't you say where it is, by the way? It is in Fort
2: Worth, Texas at the Omni downtown. And uh, yeah, it's a really, really nice place. And it's going to be a fantastic event. So and Michael Stelzner will be there.
0: (laughs) Jared Easley, thank you so much for sharing uh, your experience with us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you, Michael. Well, I hope you got a lot of value out of that episode. Um, something brand new that we've recently just announced is the Social Media Marketing Industry Report. It's free. 53 pages of rich insight into how thousands of marketers are using social media. So if you're wondering what platforms everyone is focusing their future efforts on, check out the report, socialmediaexaminer.com, 2015. Also, did you, did you was something mentioned in the show and you missed it? Well, we take the notes for you visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 151 stands for episode 151. Also, if you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button on your podcast player of choice. And as a reminder, if it's still June when you're listening to this, check out the Social Media Marketing Society at smmarketingsociety.com. Well, this brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world.
1: The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.
0: Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.